Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. While we stand, let's open up our Bibles this evening. To the Gospel of John chapter 17. John chapter 17 and verse 3. Well, it's going to be nice to have an Easter without snow. Boy, if Easter had been in March like it usually is, we might have. I had nine services canceled in January and February because of snow. And uh, I was at a church that had Sunday morning and Sunday night, and it was snowing like crazy Sunday morning. So they canceled Sunday night. And I was only about 75 miles from home, so I was able to get home. And the worship leader said, you know, I don't understand all this weather, but God snows. (laughs) But to think that his blood washes us and we are whiter. Do you know how white snow is? Amen. Good to have all of our guests and visitors here tonight. I'm glad you made your way to God's house today. And uh, thankful for the wonderful touch of God in Wednesday's night service. The lingering around the altar. I mean, we need extra innings in the presence of God, you know. We really do. Don't be in a hurry to leave the presence of God and the house of God. Hallelujah. All right. The Gospel of John, chapter 17, and verse 3. Jesus said, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. This is life eternal. Well, Brother Mackey, I thought life eternal was repenting of sins and being baptized in Jesus' name and receiving the Holy Ghost. That's the potential for life eternal. Because anyone who's been in this church any length of time at all know people that have repented, they they were baptized, they had the Holy Ghost, but they're not even, they, they don't even have a relationship with God this very minute. But this, this is life eternal. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And I want all of us to have eternal life. So we're going to find out what does it really mean to know God. Let's pray, shall we? Again, Jesus, we thank you for your wonderful presence. Again, for your blood. God, and you know the spiritual condition of every individual that is in this house tonight. God, that you would help me to minister your word. God, that you would help us to receive it. Because, Lord, we do desire life eternal and it is only through you. So God, for your glory and honor, have your way in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated this evening.
I was a senior in high school, sitting in Algebra 2 class, working on some math problems. And a woman from the school office came and gave a note to the algebra teacher. And the algebra teacher came to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Jonathan, you need to go to the office immediately, is the word that she used, immediately. So I'm walking down the hall to the office, and I was concerned because when I was in school, you only went to the office for one of two reasons. Either you were a discipline problem, or else there was some type of an emergency. I had never been a discipline problem up to this point. So I was concerned that there was an emergency. So I go to the office and I said, my name is Jonathan Mackey, and I was told to report here. And the secretary said, you know, I, you know, I don't know why, uh, let me inquire. So she talked to, uh, to another person and she said, you were supposed to go to the principal's office, Mr. George A. Beck. And when I was in high school, there was strong reverence for authority. And I used the term Mr. very carefully. Because when I was in high school, every time Mr. Beck walked into the classroom, we all sat up straight, you know. Mr. George A. Beck banned a dance called the Twist from school dances because it was rude and licentious. If principals did that today, kids would sue the school, you know. So that's the type of man he was. So now I'm very concerned, why am I going to the principal's office? So when I walk into his office, they told me to be seated, and, he, and, and Mr. Beck wasn't there. But I didn't feel I should be seated unless he told me to be seated. So I just kind of stood there and looked at the carpet. I didn't want to look at his bookshelves or his desk like I was nosy. I just was waiting. Then here comes Mr. Beck and the guidance counselor. And we shake hands, and they said, be seated. And they said, Jonathan, out of the six high schools in Duluth, Minnesota, you are the only one that wants to be a minister. You know, because we'd all fill out our vocational cards. What do you want to be? A butcher, a maker, a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker? You know, I put a minister. So, they said, in a few weeks, there's going to be a businessman's luncheon in downtown Duluth, Minnesota. And they need someone to say the invocation, the opening prayer at this luncheon. And since you are going to study to be a minister, we thought we'd give you a little bit of practice early and you can say the opening prayer at this luncheon. And I said, I'd be honored to do that. And they said, Governor Anderson is going to be the keynote speaker. So they said, there's going to be probably 3,000 people there. All right. All right. Senator Hubert Humphrey is going to be there. The representative is going to be there. Governor Anderson is the guest, is the keynote speaker. So Mr. and Mr. Beck said, I'm going to be there. So he said, you're representing Central High School, so say a good prayer. So, so three weeks later, I go to school because the luncheon is, is at noon. And, you know, I need to leave school at 1130 so I can get down to the Hotel Duluth and be there in time. And so when I went to school, uh, uh, I had on my, my, uh, my dress slacks, my suit pants, and my white shirt. But, but I left my tie and suit coat hanging in the locker. But I left the 
top on a button and I rolled up the sleeves to kind of look informal. But the guys kind of knew I was dressed up anyway. They said, Mackie, how come you're all dressed up? Shoes, shine, suit, pants, white shirt. I said, well, I said, uh, <clears throat> uh, I have a businessman's luncheon today that I need to go to. <laughs> so I go down to the Hotel Duluth and here's the whole ballroom set up with tables and linen tablecloths and then there's a stage with a head table. So I'm sitting down there and this man comes up to me and said, are you Jonathan Mackey? And I said, yes, sir. They said, well, you are saying the invocation and we have a place for you at the head table. And so I said, well, where? They said, well, every plate has a name tag, so you just sit wherever your name tag is. So I remember walking up the side steps to the stage, and I'm looking at this head table, and here is the mayor of the city of Duluth. All right, here is the representative from our district. Here is Senator Hubert H. Humphrey. Here is Governor Emma L. Anderson, governor of the state of Minnesota. And right next to him was Jonathan Mackey. And boy, was I glad I washed behind my ears and, and cleaned my fingernails, you know. So the first thing they do is say pledge allegiance to the flag, which they do. And then I sit, and then they have me come and say the invocation. And because I say the invocation, I'm there for the whole deal. I'm there for the dinner and the speech and everything. So, so, uh, so I say the invocation, and then I sit down next to the governor, and they're going to serve us a chicken dinner and then the governor is going to speak. And so here I am eating chicken with the governor of the state of Minnesota. So he's talking to me and says, well, Jonathan, that was a good prayer. And I said, well, thank you, Governor Anderson. And he said, how's everything in school? And I said, well, to be honest, I said, everything is really going great. I said, you know, and my grades are good and, and everything's really fine. But it was hard for me to talk back to him and say, how's everything in the state? Are the taxes coming in? You know? And then the governor got up and made his speech. And then right after the luncheon stopped, they took a picture of the governor and me and put a dead center front page of the Duluth News Tribune. I admit, I bought five newspapers. I mean... Really, I, I admit that. How often is your picture on the front page with the governor? That was a, the Saturday morning edition. By the time I went to school Monday morning, everyone had seen that paper. They said, Mackie, you are in. You know the governor. You know the con, I mean, you know the governor. But do you know what? If the former governor would walk in this building tonight, I would say, I know him. That's Elmer Anderson, former governor of the state of Minnesota. But you know what? I really did not know him. And he certainly did not know me. We had a few shallow, you know, superficial, surface words of conversation while we ate a piece of chicken. The same way I know the former governor is the same way that many people know God. Oh, yeah, I know God, the man upstairs. You know, yeah, yeah, I know God. There's the sun, the moon, the star. Yeah, I know God. But in John 17, 3, when it says, and this is life eternal, it's not a shallow, superficial, surface relationship with God. It denotes a depth and an intimacy. Amen. Where you are deeply acquainted with and 
understand God. This is life eternal, that they might have a deep, intimate relationship with the only true God, who is Jesus Christ. Amen. And this is life eternal. Now, Paul wrote, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul said, I know whom I believe. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Over in, over in the Holy Land, five flocks of five shepherds and their sheep would mix together and mingle at the same watering station. But when it was time to leave, the shepherd would just speak his voice and the sheep knew the voice of their shepherd. And there's a relationship with God that is so intimate, you can know his voice. Surely Israel knew God. They lived in the midst of the miraculous power of God. They saw the waters of the Red Sea roll back. They saw the walls of Jericho fall down. They saw the sun stand still. But yet Isaiah wrote, the ox knows his master and the donkey knows his crib, but my people do not know me, saith the Lord. You mean, the, the Isaiah said, the ox actually knows his master more than my people know me, saith the Lord. Now this is primary in your salvation experience with God. You are in a church tonight. You will never hear us say, come and accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You'll never hear us say that, but he must be a personal Savior. Now, Samuel was laying in, in bed one night and the voice of the Lord said, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel got up, put on his bedroom slippers, ran down the hall and woke up the high priest. What do you want? Samuel, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Again, God called. Samuel, Samuel. Again, he disturbs the priest. Then the priest said, Samuel, if that happens again, say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And there's a little verse of scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 7 that said, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And for many of us, there was a time in our lives when we did not yet know the Lord. But aren't you glad you have a personal relationship with Almighty God and you know him because this is life eternal. Now, when Jesus went to Nazareth, the Bible says he could not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now the problem was when Jesus came to town, some people got excited that Jesus is here, Jesus. Oh yeah, I know him. I remember taking my bench to Joseph's carpenter shop and there was Jesus playing in the sawdust with a hammer and nails. I've known Jesus since he was that tall. But they did not know him for his power. They did not know him for the miraculous things he could do. They did not know him for who he really was. And they lived in the midst of the miraculous power of God and never really experienced it for themselves. This can happen right in the confines of a true apostolic church. We have right here in the middle of the power of God and still not know it for yourself. Now, I was ordained in Stanton Island, New York, and I pastored in upstate New York. And, I, and, and folks, I still enjoy going to New York City, eating cheesecake, pizza, you know, all beef hot dogs. You can just eat your way through that city, okay. But the first time that I went to New York City when I was preaching out there and I had a friend in Staten Island who took me, you know, down to Manhattan, 
you could tell that I was a tourist because I'm walking through New York going, wow, man, did you see that? They're coming at me with tour books and tickets. And I went to St. Patrick's Cathedral. You know, I went to the top of the Empire State Building. I went to Wall Street. I went to Chinatown and bought a cheap watch. I mean, folks, I mean, I went everywhere. And, and the men that was taking me around the city stopped in Brooklyn because his mom and dad owned a grocery store and they lived upstairs at the grocery store. So he's talking to his dad and Sister Mac and I are upstairs visiting with his mom, just giving us a cup of coffee. And I said, I said, this city is so exciting. St. Patrick's Cathedral, the Empire State Building, Wall Street, you know, and Chinatown, you know. And I said, the Empire State Building, I said, this is fantastic. And she said, you know, Brother Mackey, she said, I've lived here for 51 years and and I've never been to the top of the Empire State Building. I've never been to the Statue of Liberty. I've never been down to Wall Street. I've never been to Chinatown. I said, you mean it's in your own backyard and you've never experienced it for yourself? I mean, people travel from Oconomowoc to go to New York City, you know? They do. But folks, this can happen spiritually. Now, I was raised in an apostolic home. My father was an apostolic preacher, started five churches. My grandfather was a part-time apostolic preacher. And do you know what? I remember going to church, and they would say, stand up, and I would stand up. They would say, sit down, sit down. They would say, clap your hands, clap your hands. I would say, they would say, raise your hands. I would raise my hands. They would say, say hallelujah, and I would say hallelujah. I would go to Sunday school class. They'd say, now, Jonathan, you learn the memory verse and you'll get a gold star by your name. Okay, the Lord is my rock. The Lord is my rock. Very good, one gold star. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Very good, two gold stars. And I went to church, stood up, sat down, clapped my hands, said, praise the Lord. Went to learn my memory verses and got a gold star by my name. But the day came to me when I said, where am I? Just a Paul Parrot repeating things that tell me what, what people tell me to say. Simon says, stand. Simon says, sit. Simon says, clap. But I remember, folks, when I was eight years old, the very first time, folks said, I felt something I had never felt before. And tears welled in my eyes. Amen. And suddenly every word that that preacher was saying penetrated my heart. And I found no one else raised their hands. And I found myself saying, Amen. And I raised my hand. And before I would always go to the altar, because that was the Pentecostal thing to do. But now I couldn't wait for them to open up the altar because I, there was something in me. I wanted to step out of that pew and I wanted to go to that altar. And I repented of my sins and I was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And the day came when I clapped my hands when no one else told, no one else did, and no one told me to. I raised my hands when no one else did because now I knew a God that was worthy to be praised and I wanted to clap my hands and I wanted to raise my hands to him. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, we are living in a very dangerous age spiritually because there's such a superficial knowledge of the language of Christianity. You know, there are churches that have a contemporary service and they have their traditional service. The contemporary service, they clap their hands, raise their hands, say hallelujah, praise the Lord, bro, praise the Lord, sis. They know all the Pentecostal terms, but they don't really know God. 
They don't really know God. Now, you are in a church tonight. We want you to know the word of God. But just knowing the word of God will not save you. Madeline Murray O'Hare, that the most famous atheist, I heard her debate with, with preachers, and she could quote scripture like this. Khrushchev, the former premier of Soviet Union, had the gospels memorized. He knew the word of God. Yes, we want you to know the word of God, but if you're going to be saved, you need to know the God of the word. You need to know the author of the book. I mean, I can stand up here and say, Wiener Schnitzel Autobahn auf Wiedersehen. Boy, you can speak German. No, I lived there for almost three years and I know three words, all right? I can stand up here and say, you know, quel âge avez-vous, parlez-vous français, je t'aime beaucoup. Boy, you know French. No, I took two years and only know three phrases, all right? I can stand up here and say taco, burrito, enchilada. Boy, you know Spanish. No, but I like Mexican food, though. So to stand up here and just say a few religious phrases doesn't mean that you know God. Not, no, we want you to know the, the word of God, but we also want you to know the God of the word. So is God just something you hear preached about from a pulpit? Is God just somebody you read about in from a book called the Bible? Or is God something you experience for yourself? It is one thing to say the Lord is my rock, but it's a totally another thing to be in a storm, have the wind blowing, amen, and the storm's raging. And then where can I go seeking a refuge for my soul? Well, but you got on your knees and called on the name of Jesus. And suddenly there was a protection around you. Amen. And now and you were in, you felt safe. And you can say, I know God is my rock. Amen. It's one thing to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But it's something else to know him as a shepherd. And he leads you and he guides you. And he restores your soul. To know the God of the word. Now, I remember when I was at Apostolic Bible Institute, this one, Sister Lundquist, this very elderly teacher, talk about how, you know, that, you know, how that they, it was Thanksgiving and they had nothing to eat. They had the table set with no food. And they sat around the table and and closed their eyes and thanked God for food and there was none there. And while they were praying, the door of their apartment opened, which had been locked, and a man walked in that they had never seen before. This man put a box of, of, on the counter and walked right out again. And they went and looked in the box and know what? It's full of bread and men and a turkey and all this food. And they didn't even, they still didn't even know who he was because he was gone just like that. And she, and she would tell us, God will supply your needs. My grandfather years ago would, would walk to preach. He only had one pair of shoes and there was holes in, her, in his shoes. And he got down and prayed. He said, God, I knew, God, I need a new pair of shoes. Size 10 and a half C, Lord, as if God didn't know that. But Lord, I need some shoes. And while he's praying, there's a knock on the door. He answers the door. There's no one there. And right on the top step is a brand new pair of shoes, size 10 and a half C. And my grandfather would say, now, Jonathan, God will supply your needs. But see, all my life, my mom and dad supplied my needs. Then I got married and I worked a job and a half to supply our needs. 
did the best I could. But now, Labor Day weekend, 1974, all right, I, you know, Sister Mac and I put all of our stuff in a, in, in, in a warehouse, and I leave everything. I have one week of revival schedule, just one meeting. And we go and preach that first week, and Sister Mackey says, where are we going to go? I said, I don't know, but we're going by faith here. All right, and by, the, by the last week in October, all the money I had in the entire world was $2.38. But I liked it because it was like Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, you know. But I remember telling Sister Mackey and our daughter, listen, I hope you don't need nylons or hairspray because, hey, ladies, all, I have is, all we have is $2.38. And I didn't want to go out with the pastor now to have at least a buck in my billfold. So that was so we started the next revival on Wednesday night. Now it's Friday night. And 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 I'm in the pulpit just getting ready to preach. And a man walks in the back door. And and I know him, but I don't know him. I know he's an apostolic preacher. And and even though I'm talking to you, I'm thinking in my mind, boy, he's a preacher. I can't believe he comes to church looking so disheveled. I could tell. Folks, his, his, you know, he didn't look good. His suit was kind of messed up, his hair wasn't combed. I could tell he hadn't shaved. And I'm preaching, and I'm thinking, why would he come to church like that? So now this, the altar service is going on, you know, and he doesn't come and pray, but he says, Brother Mackey, come here, come here, come here. And I went and shook his hand, and I said, sir, I said, I said, I know you, but I don't know you, and what's your name? And he told me his name, and I hugged his neck, and yep, his whiskers dug right into my face. And I knew he hadn't shaved, you know. And he said, Brother Mackey, I live about two and a half hours from here, and I knew this revival was going on, and the Lord told me to come and see you. And it was so strong that I called my wife and said, I'm not going to be home for supper. I got to get to that church service. He said, the Lord told me to come and see you and give you this. And he put two 20s and a $10 bill on my palm. Now I really hugged his neck, you know. Yeah, praise the Lord, brother. But then I remember turning around and kneeling at an altar and raising my hands and saying, I know that God is a need provider, not because my grandfather told me, not because Sister Lundquist told me, but now I know it for myself. I experience God is a need provider. This is life eternal to really know him. I remember reading a shocking article in a newspaper when I was working with my father in Beloit, Wisconsin. There was a man after 50 years was retiring all right, in his ministry. And in his final message, because they quoted it in the newspaper, he said, folks, I don't really know if the walls of Jericho really fell down. I'm not really sure, you know, if the waters of the Red Sea really rolled back. He said, I'm not sure if there really was a baby born in Bethlehem. And you mean a man is standing in the pulpit for 50 years, amen, talking about a God that he doesn't even know for himself. But I want you to know this is life eternal. Not just to know the word of God, but to know the author of the book and to know the God of the word. Folks, we're living in a day where, there's, where, where, where you can walk into a, into a regular bookstore and, and, and in the religious section, all right, they have books on Jesus, books on God, books on the Holy Spirit. Folks, they have all the New Age books. They have books, they have the Koran, they have Muslim folks, they have, they have Eastern religions, they have everything there. And folks, and you can read and read and read and read and read. I have so many books in my library. I keep telling Sister Mickey, I'm, never, I'm not gonna buy one more book till Jesus comes. But you know what I do? 
I'll go on. I mean, I mean, it is like a cat drowning in cream. The cat will never drink it all and, and I'll never read it all. And as a result of all the books, people have a great head knowledge of God. We have so many theologians, B.A., B.S.s, B.L.T.s, folks. You know, I mean, so many letters behind their name. But what do we sing with our kids in Sunday school? Do we sing, into my head, come into my head, come into my head, Lord Jesus. That's not what we sing. But let's sing it together. Come in to my heart. Come in to my heart. Come in to my heart. Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Because you'll never know him until something happens in your heart. And the reason I know that is because when Jesus came and walked the shores of Galilee, folks, the men that should have known him did not know him at all. Surely the rabbis and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the ones who studied, you know, the, the books of Moses, surely the religious leaders knew him, but they were the ones who did not know him. They were the ones who said, crucify him. But it was the people that we would have least expected that knew Jesus Christ. Blind Bartimaeus, yeah, but he's not blind anymore. Zacchaeus, that old cheating tax collector, but he doesn't cheat anymore. The woman caught in the act of adultery, yeah, but she does not commit adultery anymore. They had a living, breathing, personal experience with Jesus Christ. And they knew his forgiveness and they knew his healing. Amen. Do you know who the best theologian in Oconomowoc is? I don't care if you've been to college or if, you've, if you can even read or write. The best theologian is a man or a woman that came into this house messed up by drugs, by alcohol. Your marriage was on the rocks. Amen. And your life is in the horrible pit of the miry clay. But you came to an altar and you repented of your sins. You were better baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And you can say, I know that God is a Savior because he saved me. This is life eternal. And you will tell people things that the theologian will never tell them. Because now you know him personally. Now, it's like the old country doctor said. It's what you learn after you know it all that really counts, you know? All right. But in my travels as an evangelist, sometimes there's people out there that I call hypodermic saints. They live on shots of religious excitement. You know, and God help our apostolic churches that the word of God is never pushed into the background and secondary to the worship and the music. You know, do you know what, folks? Even tongues are going to cease. But the word of the Lord shall never pass away. And the problem with the drug addict is he does not want food. He just wants the high that comes from the drugs. The problem with the alcoholic is he does not want food. He just wants the drink. And sometimes we have apostolics. They, they, they want the 
to the Pentecostal high. High in the music, let's dance a little jig, let's run a few aisles, let's, let's get the beat here now. And, as there, and sometimes they don't want the food, but man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I esteem the word of God more necessary than my daily food. And so as a result, as an evangelist for 40 years, you know, there's some people that kind of run down, they're saying, come on, evangelist, give me a shot now, pep me up, give me something right here. And folks, and, and I know, folks, because when we, when we really love God, there's emotion involved there. But I want everyone to know whether, you've known, whether you're a brand new convert of just a couple weeks or a saint of 40 years. Listen, when the Sunday services are over, I mean, and the church doors are locked and there's no lights and there's no piano, no organs, no drums, and you're laying in your own bed, you need to have your own personal experience with Almighty God. And you need to say, I know Him. I know him. So we can live in the midst of this and still not have it for ourselves. Now, I've traveled in 68 countries of the world. And some countries I travel in, especially in Asia, they put these big decals on your suitcases. And now I don't like decals on my suitcase. I carry gooby gun with me. And I strip off the decal and I clean off all the glue stuff. Because let me say, it takes more than decals to make a world traveler. I remember driving through Wisconsin years ago. And now Sister Mac and I have traveled in every state except New Mexico. That's the only state I've never been in. And, I, and we got behind a camper trailer, a fifth wheel. And the whole back of it was covered with decals. And I pulled up close. I said, Judy, look at that guy. He's been everywhere. Mammoth Cave, Niagara Falls, Carlsbad Caverns, Yosemite. New York, Disneyland, Disney World. I said, he's been everywhere. Look at those decals. So he pulled off at a rest area and I pulled off at a rest area and we just, and I saw him and, you know, and we just happened to cross paths. I said, sir, I said, I'm a full-time traveling evangelist. And I said, I've been a lot of places. But I said, I've been, I was behind your camper trailer and I said, you've been everywhere. He said, well, really, he said, he said, I saw this for sale in the paper and I just bought it today and I'm bringing it home. He said, I haven't been anywhere, but I plan to go though. <laughs> so this is a good decal. This is a good decal. Hallelujah, that's a good decal. Really, but do you know what? You should know Jesus Christ as a continual compelling conscious experience that's why true worship does not because because there's a beat or the song is fast amen but but true worship can only come from hearts that really know god amen and we worship him and we love him because we know what he has done for us we need spontaneous worship now let's turn in our bibles to the gospel of john chapter 20 the gospel of john chapter 20 John chapter 20 and verse 24. John 20, 24. It says, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
But Thomas, we've seen him, he's alive. But Thomas says, I want to see him for myself. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them this time, right? Then came Jesus, it's very specific, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. So do you know what? The doors were shut and Jesus just appeared. Whew. That's better than Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, any man, all right? They still need to come through doors. Whew. Jesus is there. Jesus said to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord, do you see how personal this is? And my God, it's not John's, it's not John's Lord, it's not Peter's God, but now I've seen him for myself. It is my Lord and it's my God. And for all the young people in here, he doesn't want to be your mother's God, your dad's savior, amen, your brother's need provider. No, I want him to be my Lord, my God, my shepherd, my rock, my provider, my healer, my Lord and my God. It's gotta be personal. That's why we can tell people out here, yes, you will receive the Holy Ghost. Yes, you will speak with other tongues. Oh no, that died with the apostles. It doesn't happen anymore. No, it happens. How do you know? Because I've received the Holy Ghost. It's my own personal experience and you can have the Holy Ghost. Right? So that's why when you are born again, when you repent and are baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, that's not the climax of your experience with God, but you have just now been born again. And now you're going to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Hosea in the Old Testament to the book of Hosea, right after the book of Daniel. Now, Hosea is a prophet of God. And God tells the prophet of God to really do something very strange. And I'm sure it was hard to do. Hosea chapter one and verse two, it says, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said unto Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So the, the children of God were so backstood and so far away from God, they had intermarried, and there was a lot of harlotry and prostitution at this moment. So Hosea obeyed God. So he went and took a woman by the name of Gomer. Let's all say Gomer. Gomer, the daughter of Diablum, all right, which conceived and bare him a son. So Hosea comes and takes Gomer off the street, gives her a name, gives her respectability. All right. She puts, he puts food on her table. She sleeps in his bed. Gomer even bears Hosea children. Now, in Hosea chapter 2 and verse 2, Hosea is talking to his children. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. 
What do you mean, Hosea? She's called by your name. She sleeps in your bed, sits at your table. She bears you children. And what do you mean? She is not your wife, all right? And you are not her husband, all right? Verse five tells us why he says this. For their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread, my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, and my drink. And so even though Gomer was in Hosea's house, her heart was still out on the street. So she said, I'm not satisfied here. So I'm going to go after my lovers because that's where my satisfaction is and get my bread and my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, and my drink. Verse 6, therefore behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better with me than now. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Now the reason God told Hosea to do this is because the way Gomer was treating Hosea is the exact same way that the children of Israel were treating God. God said, don't marry any heathen women, but they intermarried with the heathen. God said, don't build any altars to false gods, but they were constantly building altars to false gods. God said, I want you to wear a blue ribbon around the bottom of your garment. They said, well, that doesn't make any difference. God said, bring your best lamb when you sacrifice to me, but they were going to find one that was going to die anyway, and they were bringing it to God. And God even said in Malachi, would your governor receive this? Uh, I mean, who are, what are you trying to do? You're saying, what a weary this this is and they snuffed up the table of the Lord God gave them the Ten Commandments but they said well I guess I better do this I guess I better bring the best sacrifice I guess I better dress modestly I guess I better do this but even though folks they were called the people of God folks their hearts were far from God so then it says all right in, in Hosea chapter 2 again for she did not even know that I gave her the corn and the wine and the oil and multiplied her silver and her gold alright and then it says in verse 14 of Hosea chapter 2 therefore behold I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her and the, little, and the literal Hebrew for comfortably unto her means I will speak to Israel's heart because all Israel had was a head knowledge. They knew all about the ordinances, all about the Ten Commandments, all about the sacrifice plans, all about the tabernacle. All they, everything was in their head, but nothing was in their heart. So God says, I'm going to bring her into a wilderness and strip everything away from Israel. Amen. So there's going to have, something's going to happen in their heart, and they're going to really know me. And then God says... All right, in verse 16, and it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, thou shalt call me Ishai, which means husband, my husband, and thou shalt call no more Bailey, which means my owner, my master, and my possessor. All right, and it says, for I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. 
And then it says in verse 19, and I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. And I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness and thou shalt know the Lord. Now, even though Gomer was in Hosea's house, her heart was out on the street. All right. Do you know what Hosea was to Gomer? Owner, master, possessor. Hosea was not Ishai, my husband. Do you know what the God of Israel was? Jehovah God to Israel, owner, master, possessor. Never did they recognize God as their Ishai and as their husband. Well, I guess I better offer the sacrifice. I guess I better go to the tabernacle. I guess I better, you know, wear this blue ribbon on my garment. But even though Gomer was sitting in Hosea's house, her heart was still out on the street. Every now and again in my travels, I see sometimes Gomer sitting in the pews of our churches. You know, I guess I better go to church. I guess I better read the word of God. I guess I better fast. I guess I better pray. I guess I better pay my tithe. I guess I better obey what the pastor tells me but even though they are sitting in here their heart is out there and Gomer's will be here for a while then they'll leave where sister so so well she hasn't come for a while they'll go out there and go after her love after her desires and after her loves this is where I get my satisfaction but I want you to know God has a way amen of putting thorns in the pathway so anyone that is a backslider you're going to go out here and try to find it and you know what amen the cigarettes are not going to taste the same Amen. And the tavern's going to be dull and the sports are going to get old because God, God, God's not going to let you find it out there because God wants everyone in this building to say, it is better in my father's house. Amen. It's not in the world. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Uh, than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Gomers, look at the watch when the man prays and when the man preaches. Gomer does not come to the altar. Gomer loves to linger in the vestibule. Gomer looks for loopholes in holiness. Gomer looks for ways to bypass the commandments of God rather than just simply love the Lord. Amen and have his laws written on her heart and obey what the word of the Lord tells her to do. So God says, I'm going to take the names of owner, master, possessor out of your heart and out of your spirit and put the name of husband there. Ishai, and I'm going to betroth thee unto me. Amen and loving kindness and faithfulness and thou shalt know the Lord. Because when it says in John 17 and verse 3, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ that thou hast sent. The word know in this verse represents the knowledge that can only come in a marriage relationship and a marriage bed. Do you know the most intimate relationship in the world is not a shepherd and his sheep. Not a brother that's, not a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The most intimate relationship in the universe is a husband and a wife. So God says, I'm going to betroth thee unto, unto me. And I, I don't want to be your owner and your master. I want to be your husband, your Ishai. Now, when I first met Sister Mackie, I did not love her. I didn't even know her. But you know what? I lived on between 15th and 16th Avenue East, and my wife lived on 17th Avenue East, one block away, a half, well, block and a half away. But 16th Avenue East was the dividing line. I went to Duluth Central High School. She went to Duluth East High School. 
We were the Trojans and she was the Greyhounds, okay? Right. But I would see her walk by my house and I would always say, I wonder who that is. And I would walk by her house and she would say, I wonder who that is. All right. So that went on for a long period of time. Now she was raised in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Her best friend in the Seventh-day Adventist church, her girlfriend in the Seventh-day Adventist church, her, was best friends with a girl in the Apostolic Church, and this girl's brother was my best friend in the Apostolic Church. So I go to Jerry Larson's house to visit with him, and here comes his sister with her friend from the Seventh-day Adventist Church and my wife-to-be that I saw walking by my house a few times. I said, I've seen you before, and I've seen you. And then we realized we only lived a block and a half away from each other. And I said, well, I'm Jonathan Mackey. She said, and she said, uh, uh, I'm Judith Ann Estabrooks. I said, well, nice to meet you, you know. And that was it. You no know, romance, you know, nothing. It was, that was it. Because that was in the month of May. Now it's June, July, August, September. And it's my mom and dad's wedding anniversary. All right. And they're going to go out on their wedding anniversary on a Friday night. And I'm the second oldest. So I stay home and babysit my five younger brothers and sisters. Boy, that's a, how fun is that, right? So I have nothing to do. So do you know what I do? I look up the Esther Brooks name in the phone book. And I pick up the phone and dial the phone. Hey, young people, this is before all this push button stuff now, see? All right. You dial the phone. I mean, just dialing the phone, I felt conviction. I'd never called a Philistine before, you know? Really. <laughs> I mean, this is the first worldly girl. So I dial the phone, and Judy answers the phone. And she said, yes. And I said, and I said Judy, this is Jonathan Mackey. Remember, we met about five months ago at Jerry Larson's house. And, and she said, oh, yeah. And I said, well, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I'm here babysitting my five younger brothers and sisters. And I really didn't have anything to do. I just thought I would call and say hello. She said, well, that's nice. Hello. And then we got on the subject of the Bible because she was so hungry for God. Seventh-day Adventists baptized all the young people at the age of 12, because that's the age Jesus was when he went into the temple. And she was 16 and not baptized yet. And she says, she said, I'm getting baptized tomorrow. And I don't know where it came from. I said, don't get baptized yet. She said, really? I said, yeah, really, Judy. Just what's, what, what difference does another week make? I said, really, I mean, I mean, why don't we just see what the word of God really says about this? So she goes, okay. So Saturday, after the sunset, we both had our Bibles. We met by Lake Superior. We only lived a block away from the lake. And we sat on the rocks, and I gave her the book of Acts, and she just started to weep and cry. She had such conviction, and she could see it. But, but she said, oh, 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 you know, but, but she was only 16 and, 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 and she was crying so hard that I, I didn't know what to do. In fact, I took her home to my dad. I said, dad, she, this, this young woman's crying. And, 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 and I said, I'm not exactly sure of what to do. And, and, and so my dad talked to her, and, you know, about being baptized and, you know, and, and it's important your mom and dad know this and everything. So, so then, as a result, I would go to church with her on Saturday just so she could come to church with me on Sunday, all right? And then our young people started to go to their youth meetings, but they didn't want us anymore because we were, we were always winning the sword drills, you know? All right, all right, all right. And so, 
And so, but then, but, but, but then her mom and dad said, well, let some of the young people come over to our house tonight. So about eight or nine of us apostolic young people went to my wife's home, you know, and they made popcorn. We played Monopoly. We were just, you know, doing things. And, and now almost a year had gone by. All right. A year had gone by. And I remember, I remember being in, in their living room and looking at my wife across the room. And I'm thinking, I really like her. I mean, I really do. Her smile lights up a whole room. Do you hear me? Even if there were no lights on, the room would be, would be bright, you know. She's intelligent, you know. She's not a bimbo, you know. Excuse me. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, excuse me. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm, I mean, really. She's intelligent. She knows how to hold the conversation. She knows when to be serious and when to be lighthearted. You know, and I said, oh, I like her. So at 11 o'clock, you know, everyone, all the kids got in their cars and went home. I just walked home a block and a half. So I go down the steps to walk home, and I feel dizzy. I feel lightheaded. Honestly, it's, I mean, I can, I, I, I mean, I can barely walk, because all I can think about is Judith Ann Esterbrooks, you know, so I go in and I get ready to go to bed. And you know what I do? I call her again. I said, hello, Judy. She said, yeah. She said, you were just here. <laughs> and I said, I know. I just thought I'd call and say goodnight. She goes, goodnight, and hangs up the phone. I go, oh, man. <laughs> and I go to bed and I cannot go to sleep. All I can think about is Judith and Esther Brooks. And I never used the word love for anybody in my entire life but family members. But now I whispered, I said, I said, I think I, I said, I think I love. I whispered it. I said, I think I love her. All right. So now, now I had a job that paid me the first of every month. I made $125 a month. The first two weeks of the month, I always had money. The last two weeks of the month, I never had any money. Okay. But when I had the money, suddenly I had money for flowers, money for cards. I took her out for the first steak dinner she ever had at Jack's Steakhouse in Superior, Wisconsin. I mean, suddenly I had money just to spend on her. And I wish I had more money to spend on her. My brother was in Vietnam for almost two years and I never sent him one letter. I went out of town for three days to St. Louis and I sent my wife three letters. And I got home before the letters even got there. <laughs> Suddenly, I'm inviting myself over. Do you want me to come over tonight? She said, well, if you want. I said, yeah, I want. You know? And man, and, and even though I had to leave at 11 o'clock, she's still standing inside the door, and I'm standing on the porch just talking. And her dad would say, Mackie, will you please go home? Yeah, I'm going home, Miss Jester Brooks. But do you know what? When I got to know her and see her and hear her voice, now that I knew her, I loved her. And now we're going to have our 50th wedding anniversary this year, and I know her so well because she's probably in pain 60% of the time. And you know what? I can call her on the phone, and just the way she says hello, I know 
whether she has slept well or not, or whether she's in any pain. I can be sitting on the platform and look at her eyes sitting in the pew, and I know she's in pain. I, I know how she's feeling. Folks, no one knows that but me, but that's the way it should be between the husband and the wife. Do you understand? And, and, and I remember, folks, right after we got married, you know, we were going back to ABI for our second year of school, and, and every apartment we looked at was just a doghouse. You know, I mean, I'm not going to let my wife live here. So we had, and she was so discouraged, and we had one more place to look. I said, listen, babe, I said, we're going to find a place to live. So we go into this hallway with a 15-watt light bulb. Why not at least a 40-watt light bulb? And the, and the landlord only had one arm, and that was kind of psychological at the moment, you know. And we're walking up these creaky stairs to the second floor. And Sister Mackey gives me that look, yeah, another doghouse. I said, yeah. And we opened up the door to the cutest apartment Brand new carpet, brand new furniture, colonial furniture, new paint, new, new curtains, everything. $55 a month, all utilities paid. Yeah. yeah. I said, yeah, we'll take this. So then we get married, go on our honeymoon, come back, go to this beautiful apartment. And then I realized, you know, the refrigerator wasn't new. And the refrigerator didn't have a handle on it. And I realized when I was looking at the apartment, there was a hammer laying on top of the refrigerator. Well, the, ham, the same hammer was still there. The only way to get the, re, the refrigerator open was to stick the claw of the hammer in there and stick that thing and the door popped open. And the only way to get the ice cubes out was to take the hammer and knock them out. That, that apartment was freezing cold in the winter, broiling hot in the summer, but we didn't even care because we had each other. Do you know, understand love that is based on gifts is not love. If the only time that the wife shows any affection is, is if the husband brings home the flowers, and I hope you guys do that. Folks, love based on gifts is not love. You know? Or if the only time you know, the husband shows any affection is when the wife makes his favorite pie. No. But sometimes, you know, I can see Gomer's, that people say, well, let's worship God. And Gomer says, well, what have you done for me lately, God? Listen, I don't worship him for what he does. I worship him for who he is. I don't love him for what he, I love him for who he is. And listen, everybody, after you come to this house, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, sometimes revivals. Folks, as you sit out there and you hear his voice and you feel his presence and you're, you're eyewitnesses of the majesty of God and you understand how much he loves you. One of these days when you leave this sanctuary and go out into that parking lot, you got to get dizzy. Oh, man, I hope I can drive home. I'm, I'm, I mean, I've never felt like this before. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and you go home and you're going to bed and, and you just can't get your mind off of Jesus. So you kneel down and say, Jesus. And the Lord says, yeah, you were just at my house. Well, Jesus, I just wanted to tell you, I love you. And you go to bed and you can't even go to sleep. I mean, because now you're, in, now you're saying, I don't have to go to church. I want to go to church. I don't have to read the Bible. I want to read the Bible. I don't have to have holy conduct. I want to be holy. 
see. Why? Because now, amen, I know him and I love him. And do you know what? The, we used to sing a song years ago, and when you know him, I know you'll love him, for he's the fairest of the fair. But folks, listen, yeah, just don't know the church, just don't know the doctrine, just don't know the pastor, just don't know, you know, the, the, the standards, how you need to know him. Amen. And love him for, for who he is, not for what he can do, because this is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Yes, I know him as a rock. I know him as a need provider. He's, he helped me find a job, but I want all that to be taken away, because when you know him as, as the Ishai, when you know him as the husband, amen, and it's not gifts, and, and because you can lose everything and still have everything when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is life eternal. Let's stand, shall we? Why don't we just raise our hands and love the bridegroom for a moment, huh? Love our Ishai in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. How many times have apostolics have the bumper stickers? People of the name. People of the name. Do you know what? Hil Hillary Rodham Clinton had the name, but I don't think she had him. You know, Tiger Woods' wife had the name. But she sure didn't have him. Folks, I just don't want to have the name. I want to have him. Not just to be in the midst of all of this and not really have him. But see, right now the Gomers are saying, well, not much happening tonight. Nothing big happening. See, because that's the, that's the mistake. <laughs> just to be in his presence. Just to be in his house. Just to hear his voice. Amen. And sometimes, you know, God's not a rich eye, He's our servant. You know, we always come to the altar, Lord, I need the job. I need to be healed of cancer. God, I need this. I need this. When's the last time you ever came to an altar? Not to ask Him for anything, but you just came because you love Him. You say, Lord, I just want to make love to you a little while. Just, I worship you and I adore you. You know, because when you first are born again, you don't really love Jesus because you don't even really know him. Years ago, they used to sing the song, he knew me and yet he loved me. He knew me in all my sin and yet he loved me because he first loved us. But sometimes we hear more and more about him, but we don't ever really love him. Amen, we just are kind of hesitant. We still are looking at the world. No. It's good if every one of us would just get dizzy, stagger out to our cars, and say, Jesus, I love you. If you find me a job, if you don't find me a job, I'm still going to love you. Amen. If I live or if I die, I'm still going to love you, Lord, because you are the best thing that's ever happened to me. Let's raise our hands and love them again, shall we? Jesus, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's right. The bride is sensitive. The bride. Gomer is not, but the bride is. The bride is saying, Brother Mackey, please just hurry up and open up the altar so we can go kneel and spend some time with my Ishai again. Amen. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to close this communion service by loving the God who loves us. Amen. I love you, Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at AbundantLifeChurch.org.